we hear the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ as the scriptures are summarized in Lord's Day 19 about the seating at the right hand of God of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we'll read Lord's Day 19, question answer 50, and question answer 51. That's on page 533 in your book of praise. And here the church confesses the teaching of Scripture in the following manner. Why is it added and sits at the right hand of God? Christ ascended into heaven to manifest himself there as head of his church, through whom the Father governs all things. How does the glory of Christ our head benefit us? First, by his Holy Spirit he pours out heavenly gifts upon us, his members. Second, by his power he defends and preserves us against all enemies. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, there were no seats in the temple. The task of the priests was never done. There was always one more sacrifice to be made. There was never enough blood. And once a year, the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies was a picture of the Garden of Eden. In the temple, there were ornaments embroidered and sculptured, sculpted, which evoked the garden. There were flowers and fruits and the lampstand fashioned like a kind of tree. It was a picture of where the glory of God dwelt. And the Holy of Holies was a picture of the place where man could have communion with God and be in his presence. But it was also a picture of the fact that Adam and Eve had been expelled from the presence of God. There were the cherubim, and they were sculpted with gold on top of the ark. They were embroidered on the curtain, the veil. And the cherubim are guardians of God's holiness. And the cherubim say to sinners, get out and stay out. Sin and sinners cannot remain in the presence of a holy God. And so for us to come back into the presence of God, sin would have to be dealt with first. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And so that is what all the sacrifices were about. That's why once per year, the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies on that great Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. But he could only enter for a moment. He had to place blood on the atonement cover. And then he had to leave and stay out, and now a whole new year of sacrifices would begin. There was never enough blood. And the way into the presence of God remained blocked until the Lord Jesus came. The Lord Jesus brought the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. And when he died, that curtain blocking the way into the Holy of Holies was ripped from top to bottom. 
But when Jesus rose, he didn't go to the temple in Jerusalem to enter the Holy of Holies. Because that wasn't the real thing. The temple was just a picture of the Garden of Eden. And even the Garden of Eden was not the real thing. It was also just a picture of the real thing. The real thing is the real Holy of Holies in heaven. This is the place where God holds court in the universe. And that's where Jesus went when he rose. That's where Jesus went when he ascended. He went into heaven itself, and he walked right by those real living cherubim, those guardians of holiness, and he walked right up to the throne of the universe, and he sat down. And that sitting down is important. What does the Bible say? Hebrews 1.3, after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. He sat down. This is something the Old Testament high priest could not possibly ever have imagined doing, to walk into the Holy of Holies and sit down. But Jesus did it. And he could do it because finally the way back to the Father is open. Sin is dealt with. It is forgiven. It is forgotten. And we can finally come home. And because sin is dealt with in Christ, the human race can get back to doing what we were called to do in the first place, crowned with glory and honor to have dominion over all creation. Now, we're in Lord's Day 19 today on this sermon, and Lord's Day 18, the Lord's Day before, confesses the gospel of the ascension, but today we hear the gospel of the session of Christ, and session means the being seated, that he sits at the right hand of God. I have the privilege of proclaiming to you the gospel of Christ's glorious session at the right hand of God. And we will consider two points this afternoon. First of all, the fact of this glory. Secondly, the benefit of this glory. And so first, the fact of this glory. Adam failed on every count. In Adam, we sinned and fell short of the glory of God. In him, we turned the glory of God into shame. Adam failed as a prophet. He accepted the twisting of God's word and failed to believe it. Adam failed as a priest. He allowed the holy of holies to be defiled by the entrance of evil. Adam failed as a king. He neglected to protect his family and the kingdom from the attacks of the enemy. Instead, he betrayed the world into the hands of the kingdom of darkness. And then he died, and his body was placed into the earth, and he returned to dust. And so the first Adam was a complete and utter and total failure. But then comes the Lord Jesus Christ, and he came to undo the fall. The Lord Jesus Christ is the last Adam, and he took all the judgment, all the curse, all the death on himself. He dealt with sin, 
He washed it away. He turned our shame into glory. And He broke forth out of the earth on Resurrection Sunday, and He was exalted to the right hand of God. This is the opposite of the fall. This is the undoing of the fall. This is not the falling short of the glory of God, but this is being taken up into the glory of God. And of course, our Lord has eternal glory as the eternal one and only Son of the Father, the second person of the Trinity. He has eternal, infinite glory. But now, in His exaltation, in His ascension, in His session at the right hand of God, as the head of the new human race, as the last Adam, a human being is given the kingdom, the power, and the glory in a way which makes the first Adam's pre-fall glory pale in significance. The Bible hardly has the words to describe it. It pushes human language to its very limits to describe the glory of our risen, ascended Lord as he sits at God's right hand. Listen to what Paul says about that in Philippians chapter 2, the verses 9 to 11, where he says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then look what the apostle says in Colossians chapter 1, the verses 15 through to 20, where he says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Oh, wait a minute, I'm in... Ephesians here. Let's go to Colossians. There we go. Colossians 1.15, where it says this of the Lord Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And so the apostle powerfully describes the supremacy, the glory, the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ is glorious on every count. As our glorious high priest, he entered into the Holy of Holies itself. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty of God. And right there is the proof that he brought the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. He has dealt with sin. What glory. And as our glorious king, it is he of whom we sang in Psalm, of whom we sing in Psalm 24. The very gates of heaven rejoice as they open before him. 
He is supreme over every authority. His is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Oh, glory. And just before his ascension, he told his disciples in Matthew chapter 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And based on that authority as our glorious prophet, Christ sends out his apostles into all the world to proclaim the gospel, to make disciples of all nations, to baptize them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to live as faithful children of the kingdom of God. Oh, glory. And so seated on the throne of the universe as King of kings and Lord of lords is a real human being right now in heaven. We don't know where heaven is. It's somewhere in the created universe. Right now, at this moment, there is a real human being seated on the throne, a real man with a real human body, which even in its glorified state still has its origin from the earth. As one old writer puts it, the dust of earth on the throne of heaven. And so the redeemed human race has a new, glorious, living, victorious covenant head. And the apostle says to the Ephesians that God raised him from the dead. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20 to 23. That God raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Child of God, you share in the glory of Christ your head. Just look a few verses later there in Ephesians. Look at Ephesians 2 verse 6. We just read that, that Christ was exalted and that he's seated in the heavenly places. And then look at Ephesians 2, 6. God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? Well, it means that Christ's glorious session is for you. It means that God placed all things under Christ's feet for you. It means God appointed him to be head over everything for the church, and that means you. He is sovereign over all the universe. He is sovereign over time and space. He is sovereign over all of history. He is sovereign over your whole life. He is sovereign over the tiniest details of your every day. Christ is on the throne in power and in glory, and he directs and he governs all things for you. Every event in the universe, every event in history, every event in politics and international relations and economics and public health, he governs and directs 
for the overarching goal of all of history, to prepare his beloved church for glory, to bring her into everlasting glory in the presence of the Father in the new heavens and the new earth. And this fact guarantees glorious benefits for us. And we'll see that in the second point. We saw the fact of his glorious session at the right hand of God. Now we'll see the benefit of his glorious session at the right hand of God. In olden times, a victorious king or general would return from the wars laden down with the spoils. And as he paraded into the city, he would throw gold and silver coins into the crowd. And his glory and victory meant that the citizens would receive rich and generous gifts. Now, the Bible uses this metaphor to describe the triumphal entry of Christ into heaven and his sitting down on the throne. On Pentecost Sunday, Peter referred to that greatest gift. He says in Acts 2.33, exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. So the greatest gift of Christ's ascension is the outpouring of the Spirit. And then if we turn back to Ephesians 4 and look especially at the verses 7 through to 12, you'll see Paul describing the other precious gifts with which the victorious ascended Christ blesses the church through his spirit. In Ephesians 4 verse 8, for instance, it says this, Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to man. Now, what are these gifts that Jesus gave in his triumphal ascension? Well, verse 11 tells us, if you're there in Ephesians 4, verse 11 says this. He says, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Those are the gifts that the glorified and ruling Lord Jesus poured out on the church. And what do you notice about those gifts if you look at them there in Ephesians chapter four, verse 11? What's, what do they have in common? Well, they're all gifts that have to do with the word of God with preaching and teaching and building up the church in the most holy faith. They are all gifts that have a focus on uniting us in faith in Christ, in helping us to know Christ, in helping us to be mature in Christ, to helping us to become more like Christ. Those are the gifts that he has given us by his Spirit. And that's the public policy of Christ the King as he rules the universe. He wants us to be more united in knowing him, in loving him, and being transformed to be like him. And because he rules the universe, he is able to direct every resource to focus on that goal, that we would stop being like the first Adam in his death and corruption, but rather that we would more and more be like the last Adam in his life and glory. Brothers and sisters, do you recognize and receive the office bearers as heavenly gifts 
from the glorious and exalted Christ. He sends them to you, elders, deacons, preachers, to minister to you, to serve you, the power of his word and spirit. From his throne in heaven, he sends preachers into every corner of the globe. He sovereignly opens and shuts doors for the gospel. He directed all of history and every detail of your personal biography so that the word would come to you, that it would be preached in your ears, that it would change your heart. And he has poured out every heavenly gift upon us so that through the ministry of preachers and deacons and elders, we might come to see ever more clearly the breathtaking vision of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how the apostle Paul describes what it looks like in the second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 3, verse 18, where he writes this, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. That's how Paul describes the Spirit-filled Christian life. In other words, it just keeps getting better and better. And so that's one benefit of Christ's glorious session at the right hand of the Father, that he pours heavenly gifts on us through his Holy Spirit to make us more like Jesus. And there's a second benefit that Scripture teaches us, and the Catechism therefore faithfully confesses, and we see it there in the Catechism, second, by his power, he defends and preserves us against all enemies. That's a benefit as to why Jesus is sitting on the throne. He defends and preserves us against all enemies. Well, we have enemies, that's a fact. We confess elsewhere in the Catechism who those enemies are, the devil and the world and our own flesh, our old nature. They hate us and they never cease to attack us. It is Christ's will that we share in his life and glory. It is the devil's desire that we share in his death and shame. He wants to drag as many along with him into eternal punishment and condemnation as possible. And so this world is a battleground. Don't we know it? Every day we battle. We battle against our flesh. The works of the flesh cling to us. Our old nature desperately tries to live on. It wants to sit on the throne of our hearts. And the devil schemes for our destruction and tries to turn every trial and affliction into a temptation which will trip us up and cause us to fall. Yes, this world is a battleground. We are assailed on every level and from every direction. The world tries to lure us with sensuality, with worldly pleasures, with worldly vanity. And if that doesn't work, the world tries to intimidate the church with cruel persecution, with hateful personal attacks, with cunning schemes to shake our confidence in Christ and subject us to the oppression of evil. Child of God, as the kingdom of darkness presses its attack upon the church, know that Christ is king, that Christ is seated on the throne, 
The Lord Jesus knows very well how wave after wave of evil and wickedness assail the church and the life of the individual believer. And Christ is not just sitting there in heaven spectating. He's not looking from afar and wondering how this is all going to turn out. He's not just watching passively. But Christ is king. Christ is sovereign. Christ rules. Christ governs the universe. See how Scripture describes him in Psalm 2. We sang the psalm. All the nations are his heritage, the ends of the earth his possession. The kings of the earth may conspire together against the Lord and his anointed, but Christ is on the throne. And he will take those scary political powers which are hell-bent on canceling the church and canceling God's children, and he will break them with a rod of iron, and he will dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And see how the psalmist prophesies about our risen and ruling Lord in Psalm 110. This is not the Jesus of modern, shallow, pseudo-evangelicalism. This is the real Jesus. This is the Jesus of the Scriptures. He is the Messianic priest king. He sits on the throne at God's right hand. He rules in the midst of his enemies. And his people assemble before him in holiness, and the young people willingly form up to march behind him into battle. He is a warrior king. He shatters the kings who stand against him. He judges the nations. And because he is a warrior king, he has no time to lounge around in the luxury and comfort of the palace. You see there at the end of the Psalm 110 how he is busy with battle after battle as he wages holy war. He has no time to stop and relax. But he dismounts from his horse and stoops to take a quick drink from the brook by the way and then back into the saddle as he goes on, conquering and to conquer. That's the picture of our Lord Jesus Christ that Psalm 110 gives us and describes who he is and what he is right now. Child of God, the victory is won. We are living during the greatest mop-up operation in history. Christ is on the throne. The kingdom of darkness has been defeated. He triumphed over them on the cross. And now Christ sends his heralds into all the nations proclaiming amnesty and forgiveness for all who were in rebellion. And yes, there are still pockets of resistance, but these will either submit and serve Christ or they will be destroyed. And if you like the Lord of the Rings, we can describe it in this way. We are living during the scouring of the Shire. The power of evil has already been broken. Nothing and no one can withstand the power of Christ the King as he establishes his kingdom and destroys his enemies. Beloved, Jesus is not waiting idly in heaven for the last day to arrive. He is busy he is active, he is waging war until every knee has bowed and every tongue confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord. Listen to how the apostle describes him in Revelation 19 verses 11 through to 16. 
Revelation 19, 11 to 16. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, the white horse, the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is your God. This is your Lord. This is your Savior. This is the King of Glory. This is the risen, exalted, ruling Lord of glory. This is the one who loves you. This is the one who died for you. He sits on the throne of the universe and he shines with more glory than the suns of a billion universes. And he governs the universe for you. He is sovereign over politics, powers, and pandemics for you. And he lavishes you with gifts in the Holy Spirit. And he defends and preserves you against all enemies. This is Christ the King, seated at the right hand of God. Believe in him. Confess him. Submit to him. Find refuge in his power and protection. And fall down and worship him, King, all-glorious, Lord of hosts, almighty. Amen. Well, let's stand and worship Christ the King by singing Psalm 24, stanzas 1 through to 5. <laughs> 